all politics are local, right? Um, these elections have direct impact on your community. Strong schools build strong communities. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. And I'm your host, Benjamin Rangel, and today we have ourselves an election special for the upcoming election here throughout the state of Wisconsin on April 6th. All right, so you know Bridge the City is all about action. One of the primary action steps we always hear time and time again, even when it's not about a a race or from a specific candidate, often we hear you have to vote and you have to vote local. All right. The last primary that we had in Wisconsin back in February, voter turnout was less than 8%. Yeah, you heard that right. Less than 8% of the Wisconsinites throughout the state of Wisconsin turned out in this last election. So let's make it count here on April 6th and and make sure you vote. Um, Early voting is at least available here in Milwaukee for some time. If you haven't registered to vote yet, um, that's okay. You can't register online anymore, but you can register at the polls when you go to vote on election day. You can visit myvote.wi.gov. On that website, it'll let you know whether or not you're registered. Maybe you moved and you have to re-register to vote. Uh, It will tell you where you vote, your polling location, the polling time in terms of when they're open, and specifically what's on your ballot, which candidates are on your ballot. So depending on where you live throughout the state, you might have different people uh, on your ballot you're voting for. But everyone in the state of Wisconsin will decide who the next state superintendent of public instruction is here throughout the state of Wisconsin. So that's the person who's in charge of the education of our entire state, right? How our young people throughout the state are educated uh, is is everyone's responsibility in some ways, but it's especially the responsibility of the state superintendent. So we have two candidates who made it out of the February primary, Deborah Kerr and Jill Underly. So we'll start today's episode hearing from Deborah Kerr. I recorded this interview with her uh, back before the primary. And so you might have heard bits and pieces of it on our last election special, but there's never before heard uh, parts of the interview as well on this episode. So we'll hear from Deborah Kerr and then uh, Jill Underly, who's her opponent. Then after the state superintendent candidates, you will hear from uh, District 4 Milwaukee Public School Board candidates. So I interviewed Aisha Carr and Dana Kelly. Both, again, won their primary top two vote getters in the last primary in February. And so they're running in District 4 for Milwaukee Public School Board. The Milwaukee Public School Board has a budget of over $1 billion. Uh, That's a lot of money and a lot of responsibility. These folks will help determine how that money gets spent and the future for Milwaukee Public Schools. So that's District 4. Again, you're going to hear some of the same questions for each of the candidates. So um, uh, just a heads up there. It might feel a little bit repetitive when you hear my voice and you hear the questions coming out. But after Aisha Carr and Dana Kelly, you're going to hear from the MPS District 5 candidates, Alex Brower and Jilly Gokul Gandhi. All right. And so I just want to plug our patron really quickly. If you like local elections, if you care about the city, the state of Wisconsin, please, folks, consider supporting your 
uh, primary source of in-depth, local, nonpartisan, community-funded journalism here on Bridge the City. We are volunteers, and so every little bit helps. You can give as little as $4.14 or as much as as much as you want on a regular basis through our Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash bridge the city. Okay, without further ado, let's hear from Deborah Kerr, candidate for state superintendent of public instruction. So thank you so much for, again for being on. Why don't we just go get started by having you introduce yourself to listeners and in your introduction, uh, just share a little bit about your personal background that might inform uh, sort of what your priorities as state superintendent would be here in Wisconsin. Greetings, my name is Deborah Kerr. I've got over 40 years of experience that I've dedicated my life to education. I've worked in a variety of sectors. I'm parochial educated. I taught in a private school. I started a charter school and I've dedicated the last 34 years of my life to public education. I've also been a superintendent in the great state of Wisconsin for the last 20 years. For my dream and vision is to create a world-class education system that makes Wisconsin the highest performing state in the country. Right now, our kids are not winning. Many of our kids across the state, rural, suburban, and urban are really struggling due to the lost instruction, the inequities of access to healthcare, food, tech devices, and of course, faulty internet. So how are we gonna do this? We're gonna focus on three areas. We need to have a focus, a laser focus on improved reading and literacy. Wisconsin is also dead last in early literacy for Black students, and all of Wisconsin's groups are underperforming. So, my first priority is starting out with a reading roadmap for pre K through third graders with ambitious goals to address and start closing those gaps within the first three years of my tenure. The second priority is making sure that all of our kids have a future they choose. So I have this dream of having work-based experiences in all of our schools, and you can think of it as this, from apprenticeship to PhD, there'll be no pathway with, um, that has a dead end. And then the final priority is partnerships, partnerships with our parents, all of the stakeholders, our community organizations so that we can recover from this pandemic. As we know in Wisconsin, uh, what should be typically a nonpartisan issue, education, I think all people from all uh, political backgrounds would agree. Education is important, one, and that students deserve high quality education. But we know in Wisconsin, and particularly in areas like Milwaukee, uh, where we're located uh, here at Bridges City, it's pretty political. Uh, there's debates around charter, choice, private, public. Where do you land on the topic of uh, public funding to private schools, the voucher system, and that whole debate? You're exactly right. Education does not have to be a political issue because we need to unify around all kids. So I support one system of accountability and full transparency for all of our Wisconsin taxpayer-funded schools. So what we've learned from the pandemic that these inequities have been highlighted and in the spotlight, but we also know that we have to focus on what these inequities are and making sure we give all kids what we what they need. So this issue of private voucher and public charter schools, this has been decided by the legislature through law. As the state superintendent, I really don't have a lot of options uh, to deal with that. However, I'm, I'm, I oversee all of those schools. They're in my purview. And so if we are going to become 
real champions of equity for all kids, we must work together on behalf of all those kids to improve their uh, literacy, close gaps, and make sure they have the resources that they need because we have a lot of work to do with this school recovery. So I wanna work with all the stakeholders involved to determine how to best decide what does accountability mean and what would this transparency look like as we come together for the very first time? Nobody has ever brought people together from all the sectors, and I'm going to do that. This is not our fight right now because we need to recover from this pandemic. And so, again, my team is a bipartisan team on my campaign, and I will again say that ed education is a nonpartisan matter as each child is deserving. The next set of questions, I'm going to just, it's sort of like a rapid fire round, right? And so I'm just going to give you a topic, like a subtopic within education in our education system. And so I'll give you a particular issue. And in just a few sen sentences, if you can, I know it's sometimes hard because there's so much <laughs> detail and nuance that goes into a lot of this, um, but I'll give you a subtopic. And then just really quickly, as quickly as possible, at least, uh, uh, explain to me what you see as, as sort of the major challenge related to that issue, if there is one, uh, and a potential solution you might have as state superintendent, if possible. Um, sound good? I love it. All right. Um, okay. So the first one is access to uh, high quality early childhood education. So this would be K3, K4, and, and so on. Let's prevent achievement gaps before they even start. All students need to have access and opportunity, and I would say birth to five. And this can be achieved through our local uh, partnerships. So like in Milwaukee, we have the YMCA's, the Boys and Girls Club, Milwaukee succeeds, and I can work as the state superintendent to increase funding to serve all of those kids. Uh, supporting students with disabilities. Additional reimbursement for all kids would be a winner for all school districts because right now the current level of reimbursement is only at 40%. I would work to get that reimbursement towards 90% over the next three biennial budgets. If we get this reimbursement increased, it would free up millions of dollars across the state for any school district to fund other students and programs. And you sort of touched on this a bit in your priorities in the beginning here, but uh, we know we hear all the time the importance of that third grade reading level and the mm -hmm. fact that so many students are behind. So what would you do to address uh, third grade reading levels? Well, first of all, every child needs to be there to read by the end of third grade. It's a civil right. And we need to promise that every child is going to do that. And so we're going to do that by rethinking what we're measuring and measuring the right things. So we're going to identify milestones for each child to achieve before they get to third grade. We're going to have research-based, evidence-based assessments. We're going to set the proficiency goals at 80% and then have expected growth in all of the areas in an effort to eliminate those gaps. Um, sometimes I hear them referred to as specials. Um, I've heard them called otherwise, but uh, subjects like art, music, computer science. These specials are essential to offering a comprehensive education. These use different parts of the brain. These utilize different um, opportunities for kids to engage and work together. As a former former physical education teacher, I played in the band. I was a great artist. Uh, so these are important programs. These should never be cut. I love the idea of daily physical education for all kids because we need to have that health and wellness uh, in our, all of our lives. Teacher pay and like teacher preparedness in, in general, challenges, solutions, what, what do you have there? Honoring our educators is one of my platforms. So our teachers deserve to be honored for their work. And so when you think about the goodness of education, it couldn't happen without our teachers. I want to do what other states have done across the country and work with our governor to increase 
teacher salaries, especially those teachers in the rural areas. We need to attract and retain the best teachers uh, to keep um, our schools going. And so I want to make sure that we have the best teachers, the best and brightest in front of all of our kids. So this is how I would start it. Uh, culturally responsive and anti-racist curriculum and instruction. Well, we've had a lot to deal with these last couple months. Not only have we had to deal with a global pandemic, we've had a racial reckoning pandemic as well. We need to make sure our kids understand that what excellence and excellence and equity means. Um, this means we have to be very intentional about what we teach and how we teach it. We need to make sure our kids have a voice so that they can help us navigate through some of these issues. And we did this in Brown Deer by developing an award-winning character education program where kids taught weekly lessons of respect, responsibility, tolerance, acceptance, and integrity. We need to ensure that all of our teachers, our school boards, our educators are trained in equity because it starts with us. We have to understand what our inherent biases are so that we can have a more inclusive educational system that celebrates equity, inclusion, and diversity. Wisconsin currently has the widest gap, as you mentioned, uh, in the nation between black and white students, uh, regardless of income. Uh, what will you do to address and resolve these disparities? First of all, you have to recognize that we have an achievement gap. Every school system in the state and in the country has an achievement gap. So when I was the superintendent of Brown Deer Schools, I was honored to lead a team that got those impressive results to close gaps with a laser focus on reading. So we had everybody who was all in to make sure that we had the right resources and the right um, materials to do that. So at our high school, we hired three additional reading specialists to make sure that we could give targeted interventions to all of our students who needed that extra support. Again, systemic changes were needed to put in pl place by acknowledging the gap, making sure that teachers had daily planning time to discuss that, um, equity training, and hiring talented staff, diverse staff that looks like our kids so that they could relate to those teachers and, and do the best in their learning. And so this is what we have to do across the state to get better outcomes. And I believe we can accomplish that with our reading roadmap plan. And so you have specific experience as the superintendent of Brown Deer Schools working to close those gaps. Do you have any like a specific data from your time there? I'm just curious that shows the success of closing the achievement gap. Yeah, when you look at the state uh, report card, our kids have scored uh, well above the state average in closing gaps in math and reading and graduation rate. And you'll see that Brown Deer has an upward trajectory as compared to the state, which is mostly stable. And so we can proudly say that we graduated all kids, 100% black and uh, white kids together uh, across that stage in Brown Deer. And the graduation rate in Wisconsin has not been even close to that. And so when you look at the seven-year uh, data, it shows that we didn't give up on our kids. So we, again, it's close to 100% of black and white kids graduating. All right, next we will hear from Deborah's opponent, Jill Underly. All right, very good. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here to speak with you and your listeners. Uh, my name is Jill Underly. I'm currently the superintendent of the Pecatonica Area School District in Southwest Wisconsin. I'm running for state superintendent um, because I believe that every child every day deserves a high quality public education and a solid foundation um, for their future. I'm a mom of two kids. I live on a small farm in Southwest Wisconsin. I 
work as a superintendent in the district where my kids go to school. I'm a former teacher, um, social studies as well. So I taught government, uh, U.S. history, world history, uh, and geography mostly. I also coached softball and um, was a student council sponsor. Um, I was an elementary principal, a middle school, high school principal. I worked at the Department of Public Instruction in Title I. So I got some experiences um, more so with urban schools, primarily in Green Bay and in MPS. Um, and then I also worked as um, an academic advisor at UW-Madison, primarily with first-generation college students. So students who needed a little extra help um, you know, navigating a large comprehensive public college. So, um, and here I am now, I've been the superintendent of Pecatonica uh, for the last six years. Uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for that introduction. It sounds like you have a ton of experience in different areas in education, but let's look forward to uh, if you were to win uh, in April, the first hundred days in office, that's usually something people talk about when it comes to the presidency, right? But let's bring it down to the local level. What are your priorities in that first 100 days? Yeah, so um, there's several. And the first prior, my first priorities will be assembling a diverse team. So I would love voices and experiences from all over the state, uh, different backgrounds, um, you know, just to get the different perspectives on the team as they help me carry forward this agenda, um, which is ambitious. It's really based in equity. Um, so laying plans for full day uh, 4K, um, early childhood programming and child care, that's every day, as well as full day for families, because it's um, proven to be one of those things that is a game changer. It works. It lifts all kids up so that they get a strong start in life, as well as helping out parents. So there's economic aspects to that as well. So laying that groundwork of working with our colleges and schools of education um, and our current teachers on the teacher recruitment issue, we have a shortage of teachers. So working out those plans. I think the the piece that is on everybody's mind is the schools and the pandemic. I have been working as a as a school superintendent for the past year. So um, I closed our schools on March 13th. Um, so making sure that our uh, buildings are ready to reopen um, for the fall will be a high priority for my administration. Um, I just want to clarify that schools have not been closed. I mean, our teachers have been working harder than ever, really, on different modes of instruction, whether it's in-person or virtual or a combination. So um, acknowledging that, I think, is very important that our, our staff have been working very hard, but it's just very important that our buildings reopen um, and do so safely. Yeah, I mean, I can echo the staff working very hard. Uh, we are uh, entering into quarter four at my school, and uh, bringing in a, a few more students than we had previously. And so um, we're, we're changing our schedule again, you know, quarter four, uh, three-fourths of the way through the year, and we're going through another schedule change. So there's a lot to deal with as a teacher from an educator standpoint. So definitely hear that. Um, so the one topic I'm sure you expected me to bring up and you have to flag a lot and talk about a lot is the topic of uh, public versus charter versus voucher and just like the role of the voucher program and privatization uh, within the state of Wisconsin. We know that education in general, although it likely shouldn't be, it, it is highly politicized. And actually, I remember leading up to the the February primary, the a lot of the conversations on social media had to do with the different candidates' approaches to this um, issue, right? 
And so uh, why don't you just for the listeners, uh, let us know where you stand on the topic of public funding to private schools and the voucher system kind of broadly. Sure. I think this is one of those, excuse me, those distinguishing characteristics or um, from my opponent. Um, I am the candidate who is 100 percent um, pro-public schools. I've been a strong advocate for our public schools for my entire career. Um, and I want to make sure that our public funding stays in our public schools. And when I look at school districts like MPS or Racine, um, Green Bay, and even Madison, the voucher program takes $380 million out of our schools statewide. When you look at our school districts, our public schools, they're having to increasingly do more with less funding. And that money belongs in our public schools because it is taxpayer dollars. And I feel that voucher schools and other kinds of choice are not held to the same. Actually, I don't feel this. I know that they're not held to the same standards as public schools. Um, they don't have school boards, for example, that are locally elected. They don't have... Um, to meet the same requirements for the number of kids who are allowed to opt out of statewide statewide standardized testing. So I have a lot of um, issues with how vouchers are not held accountable for their public dollars. And so I've always been a very strong advocate for our public schools and much more so than my opponent would be. I suppose I'm just trying to think of maybe what's a rebuttal, somebody who was in this conversation with us who might be a fierce advocate for school choice or the voucher system. Um, I hear often advocates cite the um, the freedom for parents and families to have control over their, their students and their child's education. And so I guess what is your response to those advocates who um, cite the the almost the liberating nature of school choice for parents to to choose uh, to have the funds and to choose where their student goes to school. Um, you know, what do you? Yeah, I guess how do you respond to that um, claim made by advocates of school choice? Sure, I, I see that perspective. I, you know, as parents, I mean, we want what's best for our kids, and. Certainly, um, when it comes to private schools, I'm not against private schools at all. You know, I, I feel that they serve a, a purpose and there's a place for them in the general fabric of our education system. However, I don't feel that public dollars should be paying for religious schools. I feel that they need to be separate, that we need to use that do those dollars to invest in and build up our local public schools. So therefore, people wouldn't feel that they had to leave their public school. Um, when you look at the the root of it all, I mean, what's the point of a public school? It's to allow all kids the same access to a high quality public education. When you start taking money out of those schools, it's not just a drain on funding. It's a drain on the resources of, you know, human resources. It's a drain on the number of kids um, who are in that school. And so really what vouchers are doing is they're plucking the best and the brightest out of our our public schools. And for people who don't have choice, then um, what we're doing is we're setting up two different systems of schooling. And Wisconsin taxpayers can't sustain that. Um, we should be keeping the money in our public schools because that is that is truly the most accountable option. If you don't want your kid to attend the public school, that's your, your you know, your prerogative. But you should certainly not expect taxpayers to pay for it. 
realistically, we know the state superintendent, it would be in charge of the Department of Public Instruction, right? But the way our education system right now, including the voucher choice system is set up, from my understanding, that's done through legislation, right? So it involves the legislative branch, which if we get into the political nature of school choice and voucher, Republicans tend to be a little bit more supportive and Democrats um, more supportive of public schools and and against privatization. Um, So realistically, if you are elected in in April, what can your position, the state state superintendent of public instruction, really do to impact the current private voucher system we have in our state? So the state superintendent would have to carry out the law as it is written um, and implement it, I should say, implement the law. But I mean, just going back historically, I mean, Governor Evers was state superintendent. He never um, removed vouchers from the law. He basically was able to stop the expansion of the vouchers. And that's really what's important to me, too, is um, I'm not going to say that they will never go away. Um, And the reason I say that is because I don't believe anything is permanent when it comes to uh, policies about, you know, privatization, for example. We could certainly roll those back. Um, But going forward, my goal um, in absence of being able to convince the legislature and the state of Wisconsin citizens that it's not in the best interest of our public school kids to have a voucher system would be to be that linebacker and stop expansion. Um, right now, it's expanding every year. Currently, with just the voucher program, we spend $380 million on that a year. Um, that's about $450 for every public school kid. Um, and so the impact is far and wide. You know, you look at every corner of Wisconsin, they may think, well, it doesn't impact me because I don't have a voucher school here in my backyard, but it's coming out of the school funding formula that eventually, you know, should be reaching your child in their public school. So as state superintendent, certainly communicating these points, um, making people aware of the cost and then the long-term impact um, of expansion, and then standing in the way as much as I can to prevent further expansion of the voucher program. Um, Moving on, this is a uh question you have actually answered in the past. I think I got it from the Wisconsin Public Education Network, but it's a really important one because it gets at to what I think is a um, an infringement really on our, our many of the children's constitutional right to a high quality education here in the state of Wisconsin. And so Wisconsin currently has the widest gap in the nation between black and white students, regardless of income. And so these disparities mean there are black students, particularly in Milwaukee, where I'm from, but also students of color throughout the state um, that are just getting an education that isn't the same as their white counterparts in more affluent areas. So what will you do to address and resolve these disparities? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So I've referred to them and maybe you've heard me say this before as opportunity gaps, because that's truly what they are. I mean, the reality is that where you live determines your opportunities and the kids with more opportunities will have better achievement. So it's rooted, of course, um, in things that have, you know, are outside the control of public education, but, um, you know, racism within our society, you know, it's in our laws, it's in our policies, it's in our practices, it's in our administrative operating procedures, how we discipline kids, for example, it's in our curriculum, it's in the history of what we teach and whose history we teach. 
Um, and ultimately it leads to access. Um, like I said, kids who can access more opportunities are going to be more successful. The schools with more resources are going to have better resourced kids. So um, my one of the strategies I would employ would be equity audits, um, having a equity officer at the cabinet level at DPI, um, who would be responsible for working with our um, cooperative education service agencies, which we have 12 throughout the state, um, as well as our school districts on analyzing their internal policies and curriculum and practices um, and hiring practices even to make sure that we are equitable in who we're hiring, how we're disciplining kids um, in the curriculum. Um, so basically it's combing through everything to make sure that we're very anti-racist um, and intentionally anti-racist in how we um, educate our kids in our public schools. The bottom line is I wanna disrupt the systems of inequity that plague our public schools. And so my agenda is really rooted in those things that are game changers that work, like early childhood education, you know, recruiting and retaining a diverse teaching force, highly passionate educators who um, care about kids um, and love kids. And I'm not saying that the current group obviously don't, but I mean, they do. It's certainly, it's just that we have such a shortage of teachers and we have a shortage of teachers of color in particular. Um, we also need to access more mental health resources for our schools. Um, we need to get... Um, more funding into our schools for school counselors, um, you know, school social workers, school psychologists. Um, and these are the things that, again, better resourced school districts have for their kids. Um, they have a lower student to school counselor ratio, for example. We also need to look at our school funding formula and the reimbursement rates that we get for special education costs or English learner costs. Um, high poverty aid um, didn't exist in the budget until this year. Um, whether it gets approved or not will be remain to be seen. But um, these are things that we know work. And again, when you look at student achievement, if you are in a upper middle class community or a strong middle class community, your schools are going to perform better on standardized tests. And it's again, because kids have more support. Um, so I'm wondering if we can get into maybe some specifics. I liked the fact that you started and highlighted early childhood education. My experience working in education for five the past six years now, I suppose, um, has uh, been in the high school level and occasionally some middle school. But um, I've seen data and many listeners might have seen data around how uh, a lot of students are behind in, uh, by the time they even reach third grade, whether that's that third grade reading level or even before that. And so what is something specific around early childhood education that like doesn't exist now in the state of Wisconsin that you would bring as state superintendent to help provide um, a more equitable early childhood childhood education? Well, I'll tell you something that doesn't exist in the state of Wisconsin that we've been able to bring into the school district that I currently lead is full day 4K where it meets every day. So right now in the system, um, the state of Wisconsin reimburses school districts only 60% for 4K. And it, it's an optional program, don't get me wrong, but we know as teachers and as, as parents, right, we know that the kids who attend a high quality childcare program, they just are ready, you know, for kindergarten, um, often by leaps and bounds compared to their peers who may not have attended a high quality childcare or had a parent who was able to stay home with them and 
you know, work on things like social skills or, you know, early numeracy and early literacy, AKA learning your numbers and your colors, right? There's a lot of things early on that we can catch that, you know, of course, set kids up and then set their families up. If we're going to disrupt generational poverty in Wisconsin, and we're going to disrupt, you know, these gaps in achievement and opportunity, we have to start young. We have to invest in kids early so that we don't have to pay for it later. All right. And so that was Jill Underly running for state superintendent of public instruction. And before that, Deborah Kerr, her opponent, both are running to lead the state's uh, Department of Public Instruction here in the April 6th election. Next, we will hear from Aisha Carr and Dana Kelly. They are running for Milwaukee Public School Board in District 4. So this is only for voters who live in District 4. Of course, everyone can listen if you're interested. Who will be the next director from this district on the Milwaukee Public School Board? Aisha Carr here first. Thanks again so much, Aisha Carr, for being on Bridge the City. Why don't we jump right in and let listeners know a little bit about yourself. So introduce yourself and then what motivated you to run for MPS school board director. Well, first things first, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite and really taking the time um, to allow me to um, uh, really expand upon my platform. Um, My name is Aisha Carr. I am the current Opportunity Youth Reengagement Director with the Silver Spring Neighborhood Center in partnership with the Burke Foundation. I work with youth and young adults between the ages of 16 and 24 that are um, graduates uh, of high school or of the K through 12 educational experience or system or have dropped out of the K through 12 educational system uh, and lack an adequate transition plan. So I connect them with housing, uh, employment and career opportunities, mental health services, and so on and so forth. Uh, Prior to serving in this capacity, I was a MPS teacher for about five and a half years, Uh, MPS teacher and former union member. Uh, I worked at James Madison Academic Campus. Uh, I was an English and special education co-teacher. Prior to that, I worked um, for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Milwaukee um, in the same building uh, at James Madison Academic Campus. And um, prior to um, serving in Milwaukee, I um, worked in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill as a legislative staffer for a former Wisconsin state senator doing educational policy research and working with constituents to educate them about educational policies. Uh, One of the reasons why I jumped into this race, this is actually my second time running. I'm running for the same reasons that I ran um, for before. You know, our educational system is not making as much progress and and our educational system, meaning the public school system. uh, I am a product of MPS schools. I graduated from uh, elementary, middle, and I started at an MPS high school and I was kicked out. Uh, for having a physical altercation. Um, I had excellent grades and one fight got me expelled from the district and um, landed me in a a private school. And so, you know, I've experienced education in that capacity. I'm a mother of a MPS student student currently uh, who was also a student in an MPS charter before she got to an MPS public traditional school. And then, like I said, my background is in education, everything I've done. And so, All of my experiences has given me um, 
a perspective from uh, a parent's perspective, an educator's perspective, and a community and key a stakeholder perspective. And, and, and for those reasons, I am not completely satisfied. Um, and I realize that there's not as much progress being made. And so I want to bring my ideas, uh, my energy, my leadership, my vision for a, a, a stronger public school system um, to the board. And I look forward to serving students uh, and families and, and, and educators. Wonderful. I, I love that introduction. I think you touched on a lot of your experience and sort of the motivations behind running. So I appreciate that. Um, and so the, the Milwaukee Public School budget, for, for listeners who don't know, it's, it's over $1.2 billion. So I often reference the budget when I'm trying to uh, encourage people to vote because that's a lot, that's a lot of taxpayer dollars, right? Um, even if they're not engaged in um, Milwaukee Public Schools directly. Um, and one of the pieces of wisdom I've gained through the years uh, interviewing folks in Bridges City is that a budget is a moral document. And so uh, if elected, what are some things that you would like to see prioritized in that budget? How do you think MPS should spend taxpayer dollars? So not that this is my top priority, but when you're speaking about taxpay- taxpayers' dollars and uh, just the investment in the public school district, uh, one of the things uh, that is concerning, um, and this is a conversation I've had with much of my family um, and some of my colleagues about the underutilization of MPS buildings, vacant buildings, um, and the money that's being spent to basically keep them open, um, but they're not really open. And so and when talking about taxpayer dollars, it's not a good use of funding. It's not a good use. It's not a good investment. And so, you know, the underutilization of buildings. The other thing I will say, uh, when you're talking about the school to prison pipeline and disciplinary policies, which is something I can relate to because I was kicked out of um, the district, we have very punitive policies. Um, And as we know, like the data has suggested that at an eighth grade or not eighth grade, a third grade level, um, it is determined um, the future of so many children based on test scores. And so it's it's determined at that point whether or not they're going to exceed in higher education and be a success or whether they're going to be a menace and be fed into the that school to prison pipeline, which is costly. And so when you're talking about, again, budget, um, the punitive policies cost us uh, more than a restorative policy, policies or practices would. Um, the other thing I would say is um, school curriculum, which is a culture, school culture and climate aspect of the budget that we need to further invest in to support and strengthen um, and beautify uh, <laughs> our schools and make them more appealing to our students and to our families to attract them back to the district. So I mentioned earlier in that first question that someone listening might not have a student uh, in MPS or uh, might be, you know, uh, far removed from school and education in general. So why should someone unaffiliated with uh, MPS participate in this election and vote for uh, Milwaukee Public School Board to begin with? I think in general, whether you have children in the district or they've graduated or you don't have any connections or ties to education whatsoever, education is the foundation. Um, that foundation that each and every one of us human beings will have uh, connections and ties to um, and make investments in. You know, I, I used to tell my students, um, and this is so true, 
um, regardless of whether people have children in or out of the district or no children at all. If we don't invest in education, uh, specifically local school board elections, statewide um, superintendent, school superintendent elections, we will have a problem in our backyard. Um, the analogy or the example that I use is, you know, if we don't make an investment on, on the front end, it'll become a problem on the back end. And what I mean by that is pension, state pension will be threatened. Um, crime. Uh, we will be more su subjected to more crime uh, and criminal activities in our communities uh, that will have an economic uh, impact um, and so many other impacts. Um, because education is the foundation, when you're thinking about future professionals, doctors, attorneys, um, all of that, it, it is all interconnected. And so whether, again, people have uh, children in the district or out of the district or no children at all, education, because it's the foundation, it should be a concern, uh, the top priority and concern of everyone because education is needed in order to make our communities, uh, economy, society thrive. Certainly, um, right. Uh, investment, I think even research suggests that uh, investment in education is one of the most um, efficient investments a community can make in terms of return on that investment. Um, and so I, I love interviewing teachers because I get to ask uh, teacher related questions as a fellow teacher as well. And so uh, this is a fun question, hopefully, for you to reflect on. You mentioned you were an English teacher for a bit. Uh, can you remember maybe one of your more um, proud moments as an educator, something that sticks out to you and you can think back to uh, this day and you know, bring yes. a smile to your face? Yes, yes, absolutely. So it was actually my last year of teaching. The year that I ran for the first time, it was in 2017. Um, at the time, uh, the Black Lives Matter resolution had just been uh, approved by the board and there was a lot of momentum and excitement around the initiative. Fast forward, um, I taught comparative ethnic studies and we really entered the position. It was, it was a, a pilot program. And so you know, it was trial and error, trial and error. We didn't really have a set curriculum, but we had books that we knew that we wanted the students to read. We had an idea of, of what we wanted to teach and do. And ultimately we wanted to develop, develop a knowledge of self and, and, and teach students authentic history. We read books, um, Just Mercy. Uh, we watched documentaries like the 13th. We learned, uh, we watched, we listened, um, so the audio book, The New Jim Crow, um, and all of this started to shape and mold their ideas and perceptions of systemic inequities, racial disparities, and so on and so forth. The kicker and the proud moment was final exam. Um, and I wanted to be really creative yet intentional about how I would assess the learning and the growth. And so instead of doing a traditional exam, I wanted to develop other skills like events planning and collaboration and critical thinking. And so I charged my students with the task of putting on an event and educating the community and assessing the community based on what they were teaching, ultimately to determine what my students had learned. And so we shut down City Hall, we did some marketing and advertising, we invited schools throughout the city, throughout the district, there were teachers there who brought their students, there were key stakeholders, the mayor was present, the chief uh, police chief at the time was present, the media, and they basically 
opened up the um, their final exam presentation to the community with the literacy exams of the 1960s. Um, and that was the opener. And then they did a presentation and each one of their presentations, my students hit on different units that were taught in the classroom. And I stood in the background and I assessed them with some of my colleagues. And it really allowed for me to learn or, or, or experience what they were taught. And in my mind, in my opinion, that's how I determined the real growth that was um, that was made yeah that's <laughs> that was heavy, yes. yeah that sounds amazing yeah i'm just getting chills thinking about it disappointed i didn't uh know about the event at the time and couldn't attend but it's also making me rethink the way my assessments um allow students to show their knowledge and what they've learned that's amazing and thank you so much for sharing um thank you and so i, I gotta get jump a little bit back into the policies i know we're running a little short on time uh and so you know, this it wouldn't be an interview with a candidate for a, a Milwaukee uh, education related position if I didn't bring up the topic that is often discussed um, in these circles, which is privatization, the increase of voucher and charter. You knew what I was going to ask. So uh, just for <laughs> listeners sake, um, what is your position on the privatization of, of public school or private do or public dollars used uh, and utilized in private schools and uh, charter and voucher schools? I am absolutely not a supporter of the privatization of public schools. In fact, if I had it my way, all education would be free, high quality, and accessible to each and every one of the children, families in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, unfortunately, that's not where we are as a city or a state. And, and because of that, that kind of takes away from our public schools. Uh, however, I'm, I'm not in support of the expansion of the voucher program. I'm not in support of the expansion of the charter program. I think we really need to do a thorough analysis of what's working and what isn't. At this point um, in, in time, what we're finding is that we're losing a lot of families, a lot of students to independent charters, uh, for-profit. Uh, we're also losing uh, students and families to private schools. So we really, as a district, need to engage in those critical, crucial conversations about why our children are leaving and what will it take um, to bring them back. And we and in, in that, we have to assess our competitors. What is it that's more appealing um, and, and what's more attractive um, there than it is here? Um, until we engage in those conversations and really make the necessary changes, setting politics aside, we're going to continue to have these conversations. The other, the other aspect is, while I don't support it, I'm also not in a position to change that. That's more state legislation. On the school board, what I do know is that MPS is a chartering authorizer. And in that, MPS has made some not so wise decisions to approve charters that had no business being in education. If somebody was, you know, wrestling back and forth between you and your opponent, what do you think sets you apart uh, from your opponent in this race? I am an educator by heart, by um, my, my credentials suggest that, my background, everything. I don't have to learn the game. I, I have been involved. I'm a part of it. There's no need for me to catch up. This has been my life, my professional career, my personal experiences. And so I'm already in a position where I'm informed, I'm experienced in the field of education, and I know what's best for our children. And I've done the community work. I've made the, the connections with the community. And so I'm ready. I'm ready. I've been doing this and I'm just ready to take it to the board level. 
All right, so that's Aisha Carr running for Milwaukee Public School Board here in District 4. And next, we have her opponent, Dana Kelly. Thanks. Thanks, Ben, for having me today and for this opportunity. And again, I am Dana Kelly, um, assistant pastor to the Reviving Faith Movement Church. I am Northside Rising co-op organizer of Citizen Action of Wisconsin and candidate uh, for District 4 MPS School Board uh, of Directors. Um, I'm excited and motivated um, to be in this race uh, for multiple reasons. Um, but mostly to bring change um, and just to rebuild uh, a solid foundation through MPS uh, for our youth and for our community. Um, so uh, it's um, youth driven, um, but community inspired uh, and it's all connected. So that's those are my motivators. Wonderful. And so we're going to jump right in talking a little bit about policy if you are elected to the school board. And so if elected, what are some things that you would like to see prioritized in that budget? Well, uh, books (laughs) is number one. We need books. We need libraries. We need librarians. We need music and arts. Um, We also need mental health um, professionals. We need Uh, more teachers, smaller class sizes, all of that takes funding. Um, We need uh, healthy food programs. Uh, We need social development programs, uh, restorative um, programs within the school that uh, will uh, stave the school to prison pipeline. Um, We need a lot of support uh, with social work and um, and just many other <laughs> areas. So 1.2 billion uh, sounds like a lot, but it's really not enough. <laughs> you know, this wouldn't be a conversation uh, about Milwaukee education if we didn't uh, have this topic come up. So can you just um, state for listeners your position on uh, the privatization of public schools or using public dollars at, uh, in charter, uh, whether they're public charters or private voucher schools? What's your position there? Well, the, the privatization of public schools is an oxymoron because how can you privatize a public service? And then how can a public service fund a private entity, especially um, the competitor entity for which <laughs> they um, that they stand? Um, so an educator, a public education system funding a private education system from public um, funding um, truly makes absolutely no sense financially, morally, ethically, all what you just said that we uh, are legally bound um, to do, especially at the school board of directors level. You know, there might be some listeners right now who are not affiliated directly with MPS, whether the, whether they don't have students in Milwaukee Public Schools or they have graduated and they moved on and they don't really spend some time thinking about the education system here in our city. Um, what would you say to someone to sort of encourage them or explain why it's important for someone unaffiliated with MPS to uh, vote in this election for MPS school board? Because uh, voting in any school board election, not just this one, um, is very important because the school board and state um, 
legislation are very closely connected. And a lot of um, policies that come at the state level that affect the school board affects the entire community. And this is why it's just so super important um, to stay connected, you know, in all races, uh, primary races, school board races, local races, and of, of course, uh, presidential races. Um, the, these, these local level races are the ones that impact um, the everyday average person. And so uh, this is why it is so imperative and, and important for the everyday average person um, to take these types of elections very seriously. Yeah. And so uh, on the topic of the election, uh, you are facing your opponent, Aisha Carr. What do you think, if a listener is listening to this, they might have just heard from Aisha Carr, or they're going to uh, hear from her afterwards at some point, depending on how this editing works out. But um, what sets you apart from your opponent? Why? What what could you say to voters to convince them to vote for you as opposed to your opponent? Um, I think Aisha Carr is a um, fine young lady. Um, but the difference in this particular election is um, that I am solidly for public schools. I am solidly for uh public funding, staying within public schools, and for increasing uh, public funding uh, to public schools. And um, and that's our difference. I don't see that that is um, her solid stance. And so that's where we stand apart. Is there anything else you want to plug or say about your campaign, what it would mean for you to be on the Milwaukee Public School Board? Well, um, I do want to plug the fact that I've been endorsed um, by upwards of 20 organizations and um, community leaders. And these endorsements um, mean a lot to me because it didn't, it wasn't necessarily financial endorsement, but it was um, more of support, you know, encouragement, um, speaking to my integrity um, and my track record, but also putting um, boots to the ground, you know, and actually, you know, hitting their pockets too, but giving out of sacrifice, not because, you know, they just had a whole lump sum to give. And so um, I'm super excited about, you know, that. But also, I just got a national endorsement through the DSA. I know, right? Like a whole national endorsement for a school board election. And again, um, the support, the financial support I've received is not a PAC, but it's um, through um, members donating. And um Average donations are $10, but we're getting there. <laughs> so I'm super excited about that. We have quite a few opportunities for volunteering. Um, I actually have two launches on Saturdays, uh, 1030 at North Division, my alma mater. Um, and then we have another one um, at 12 o'clock um, uh, in District 5 with Alex Brower at 2536 North Palmer Street. Um, the one at 1030 is with uh, Working Families Party, MTEA, uh, Citizen Action, and quite a few other organizations that send volunteers. So if you want to come and help and get a winner across the finish line, <laughs> 
I definitely, definitely, definitely would uh, appreciate your support. Just go to www.vote the number four Dana Kelly dot org. Thank you. <laughs> There you have your two candidates for Milwaukee Public School Board in District 4, Aisha Carr, and then you just heard from Dana Kelly. Next, we'll look to District 5 and hear from Alex Brower and Jilly Gokul Gandhi. Here's Alex. Yeah, no, thank you, Ben, so much. My name is Alex Brower. Um, for your listeners, my pronouns are he, him. I'm a candidate for school board in District 5 for the election coming up on uh, April 6th. And, you know, I've been a fighter for public schools for a number of years. Um, I uh, uh, became a substitute teacher for Milwaukee Public Schools in the spring of 2014, and, and joined the my union right away, the MTEA, and you know started fighting almost immediately to improve the conditions that I saw within Milwaukee Public Schools. And so I've seen what our students are going for, going through the intersection of of race, racial oppression, class oppression, um, the patriarchy, all of these things that are that are really bringing our our students down and, um, you know, the the privatization and everything like that. And I'm running become because elections have real consequences on my students lives, on their families lives, you know, on my own family and our entire community. Um, you know, I've been in this fight and I know what's at stake. Um, I ran for uh, city comptroller last year. And when that happened, you know, it, in the days after that loss, uh, I lost in the primary. Um, in the days after that loss, I thought I would never do something like that again. But um, my, my team and I decided to run for this because there's so much at stake in this school board election. Um, and I've seen, honestly, too many school board members who make decisions based on what's going to advance their political career um, and what's politically convenient rather than standing up for what's right and what's best for MPS students. So uh, we can't accept that from our elected officials anymore. Uh, There's just honestly too much at stake in this world for us to accept mediocrity um, from elected officials going forward. Um, And, you know, for folks who've been in the movement for strong public schools in Milwaukee, uh, we know we got to keep fighting. And so a lot of them um, you know, we're encouraging me to seek this seat when Larry uh, Miller decided to retire. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's my, you know, what I'm intending to do is bring this fight to the school board. And, and sorry, that was kind of a long answer. Ben. No, no, it's it's kind of in line with everyone else. There's a lot to say. There's a lot of reasons why people, you know, put a lot of their life on hold to run for these local elections. You know, these aren't um, uh, typically as well known as some of the national elections, but we know just as important in many ways and, and uh, directly impacts many of the residents of Wisconsin in more ways than some of those national elections. So thank you for that introduction. Uh, you talked uh, you talked a little bit about what's at stake. And so uh, if elected, what are some things that you would like to prioritize or see done in that budget? Yeah, yeah, the budget is a the budget is a moral document. And if that's a reflection of our morals, then we're, you know, morally bankrupt in this city currently, um, <laughs> in every level of local government. Um, so one of the things I'm going to be fighting for, I mean, actually, I have a whole platform, a six point platform that I would encourage your listeners to check out at voteforalexbrower.org, um, specifically in the budget. Um Actually, you know, all of the things I'm standing on uh, work towards the budget. We're going to be working to democratize education and give more voice to people, add seats to the school board. So right away when I get elected, I do intend to make budget amendments to add um, seats to our school board to represent communities like students and parents from high need schools. Um, And, you know, how does that affect the budget, you'd say, right? Well, it's an expense to have people on the board. 
right? And, and we do pay our directors too. And I think if we're going to say to community members that they should be sitting on the board, that they should be paid the same as a school board director who's duly elected in an official government election as well. Um, so we can add those seats. You know, I'm looking to create a Green New Deal for Milwaukee Public Schools. So some of the budget amendments that I intend to propose are going to be to do retrofits to our physical infrastructure. I think this goes in with what we're seeing with the coronavirus right now too. Some of this federal money that comes down, it's coming down with the Build Back Better plan from President Biden needs to be used to make our facilities, ventilation systems and everything like that, compliant and able to house people given this new era of you know global pandemics. Um, uh, I'm going to be championing the struggle of Milwaukee Public Schools workers and introducing budget amendments to attract and retain the best and brightest in this city, especially teachers of color. But even the, one of the biggest things I want to do with the budget is we've got to shift dollars to the classroom and reduce class sizes and support students and their needs. Um, you know, and make sure every student has access to high quality, you know, arts education, music, ELL, English language learner programming, bilingual and special education opportunities. So, you know, what that looks like to me specifically is, you know, MPS has a bureaucracy that I think, unfortunately, is too large right now. I mean, yes, of course, we need administration. We need leaders. Um, you know, and I support that generally as a, as a theoretical concept, but given the crisis that we're under in Milwaukee public schools and given the fact that we may not see more funding from the state in the next immediate few years until we achieve a, um, you know, a political a movement that replaces what's going on in Madison, um, we're going to have to make cuts to administration uh, to, to, to have less bureaucracy and more money in specific classrooms. Yeah, you bring up a good point. The school board directors often have to work with what they're given. And in the case of uh, Milwaukee Public Schools, you know, in some ways, the ability to raise additional revenue, you know, is, is difficult unless the state legislature kind of chimes in here. So hopefully listeners um, are understanding that, uh, but also can hear that despite those challenges with funding from the state, um, uh, the candidates, you, yourself included, it sounds like, have innovative solutions and in, in policy proposals you still want uh, implemented. And so you've already alluded to my next question, and it's a question that has to come up whenever we talk about school uh, education in Milwaukee or Wisconsin broadly at this point, and that's the growing privatization of our public schools. Just for the listener's sake, can you um, let them know where you stand on the uh, debate around private uh, private schools getting public funding, the voucher charter program, stuff like that. Yeah, <clears throat> as a candidate, I'm you know standing in an unwavering commitment to public schools and quality public schools here in Milwaukee. I've been fighting for public schools, you know, ever since I've I've worked for the district and been an educational activist. Um, and, and even before I worked for the school district, I was fighting for public schools. Um. So, yes, yeah, specifically as far as the voucher program is concerned, as a school board director, um, you know, that's obviously not within the purview of the school board to eliminate the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program. Um, but as a school board director, I'm going to be publicly calling for that law to be completely um, removed from the statutes. I don't think there's there's any room for public dollars to be supporting um, religious entities. You know, when it comes to charter schools, um, what I'm going to be doing as a school board director is, is holding them accountable First of all, the ones that we charter and being very, very skeptical of any new charter applications and not being afraid to shut down a charter school that's not working for students. Because these decisions are political, right? These Some of these charter schools, if the data shows that a charter school is not um, educating students in the way that it should, um, you know, there still has to be a political fight to, to revoke their charter. 
right? And, it, and it's still a political question. And then, you know, what? then people's salaries are on the line and then people's incomes are on, you know, then money to institutions is on the line when you talk about revoking a charter. And so that gets, a, makes it a political fight. And, and I've seen situations where the board has not had the political will to shut down a school that's not performing because of, because of politics. So we have to look at the facts and not the political situation in that respect. Um, and as far as other charters are concerned, you know, there's multiple entities within the city of Milwaukee that can charter schools. As a school board director, I'm going to be opposing that and calling for that law to be changed because I do think that the democratically elected school board should be the only entity that can charter a new school because it has the expertise at its availability. Um, what would you say to listeners about why they should vote and why they should uh, care about this election if they're unaffiliated with Milwaukee Public Schools? Yeah, my message to voters, and I put this on my literature as well in the past, is um, if you care about this city, you need to vote in these elections. Even if you don't have kids in the school, even if you don't work in the schools, even if you're in no way affiliated, um, you may think you're not affiliated, but you actually are because we live in a community together, right? And, and so we, you know, what happens in our schools is of concern to everybody. You know, right, right now, my partner and I are raising a child um, together. Um, I was attending school virtually, and so I do have a huge stake in this. But even before that, I had a stake in this. Even before I was with my current partner, I had a stake in this because I cared about schools. And even before I worked for the schools, um, when I lived in a different city and when I lived in Beloit, um, I was almost in no way, quote unquote, affiliated with the schools. And I was leading a campaign that brought sex education to Beloit Public Schools. There were, you know, students did not have sex education in Beloit Public Schools before Mark Spreitzer and I fought that fight. And then thankfully, after we fought that fight, there was um, a public a sex education curriculum that was brought to Beloit Public Schools. And, you know, a lot of the conservatives in town, like used, you know, what you're saying, they used that against us. They said, oh, this is just a bunch of, you know, leftists at Beloit College who are coming in and trying to tell our town how to run things. And, you know, my answer was, I live in this town. I live in Beloit. I've lived here for years because I was a student at the college. I've lived here for years. I, you know, care about what's going on. And the fact that the teen pregnancies were on the rise in Beloit, um, astronomically, by the way, <laughs> astronomically on the rise, um, you know, we had to do something about that because I care about students. And so my message to these voters, to every voter and, and every non-voter is, you know, wake up and, and care and, and take the concern of the whole community into your heart and decide to cast a ballot in this election. Um, you are running against a, uh, a strong opponent. And so I'm, I'm interested and I'm sure voters are interested as well. Uh, what sets you apart from your opponent? Why should voters choose you? Yeah, thank you for that question. I mean, first of all, you know, I think everybody who's running in District 5 has their heart in the right place with supporting public schools and, and being, um, you know, being an advocate for, for students. What separates myself from my opponent is a lot to do with our worldview. You know, I'm running in this race as a democratic socialist. Uh, my opponent is not. And I'm really calling for a lot of systemic structural changes that my opponent is not calling for. For example, we're calling for um, radical democracy to be introduced into Milwaukee public schools. Um, I'm calling for, I'm calling it democratized education. And also Dana Kelly is fighting with me on this. She's one of my, she's my running mate. Um, she's also running as a democratic socialist in district four and a DSA endorsed candidate. Um, so what I mean by democratized education is to bring, it's three components in my mind. It's, uh, you know, having a democratic budgeting process, where if a budget amendment is being proposed by a group of people, maybe they don't sit on the board, but a group of people, and they can demonstrate support 
I believe the board should consider it, even if they don't politically want to. Right. Going back to what I was saying earlier, a lot of board directors and as somebody who has had a lot of private conversations with board directors over the years, a lot of them are afraid to do what's right because they're they're um, they're worried about their political future. I had a school board director say, quote, I will never introduce anything unless it's destined to pass because I'm done proposing things that will fail. End quote. Um, and so that really says a lot about our about the caliber of elected official in this city currently that they will put their own personal um, aggrandizement ahead of what needs to happen for students. So so anyway, democratic budgeting, um, a citizen policy initiative, where if a policy want you know if, if a group of people in the city want to propose a policy and they can demonstrate support, the board should be forced by its own policies to consider it regardless of how they feel. Um, and then the third thing about democratizing education is adding seats to our school board, um, which my opponent is not calling for. Madison Public Schools has a student seat on its board currently. Now it's a non-voting seat. And under current state law, um, under current state law prescribes the number of directors that Milwaukee Public School Board has. But what we can do until we get a change in state law and a change in the legislature, what we can do right now is add non-voting seats to the board. And they'll sit up on the stage with us just like anybody else and be and, and have the same uh, benefits offered to them as, as any other school board director. But I think we should have student seats. We should have seats from parents from high need schools and maybe even a seat for non-administrative staff. The school board historically here in Milwaukee, under the socialists, the school board had 15 people on it. Right now it has nine. In the 70s, they lowered the number. Um, I believe that we should at the very least go back up to that historic number of 15 and using those additional six seats to represent communities that need to be at the table. So one of the things um, that I'm calling for is for you know more radical democracy. And that, that really does set me apart from what my opponent is calling for. All right, that's Alex Brower running for Milwaukee Public School Board in District 5. And here is his opponent, Jilly Gokul Gandhi. Yeah, hi, everybody. I am Jilly Gokul Gandhi. I'm running for MPS School Board District 5, and I am a multilingual millennial immigrant. Uh, my parents came to this country. I came, actually, with my parents uh, to this country from Mumbai, India. And, you know, I uh, went to public schools, um, have lived in Milwaukee for almost a decade, and have worked in the public education space. You know, I started my career in youth workforce development, um, and then I spent my formative time at Bradley Tech High School implementing the community schools model, which is a really progressive transformative model that looks to um, make sure that educators are working with our uh, students, are working with our families, are working with administration to have shared governance and shared voice around culture and climate, academic achievement, you know, anti-racist teaching practices. And uh, over the past couple of years, I've been working in philanthropy funding, anti-poverty, girls in STEM and literacy programs. And so I've seen the, what, you know, the power of our education system has and, and, MPS is a $1.2 billion organization and, and, and serves 80,000 students with over 86 some languages represented. You know, there's a lot of power in what we do and how we show up for our kids and how we show up for our educators. And um, I think, you know, with my lived experience um, as an immigrant and a woman of color and my work experience um, defending and protecting public education, this is, uh, this is the right time to, to stand up for what I believe in and what our kids deserve. And so um, if elected, what are some things that you would like to see prioritized in that budget? 
Yeah, so there, there's a couple of things. You know, my platform is really through the lens of an equity-based platform, and it comes really through the lens of the community schools model, right? So in the community schools model, what do we prioritize? One, we prioritize youth voice, right? And so in the budget, um, what I'd like to see is a parallel program to the Black and Latino Male Achievement Program. I worked really closely with the BLMA department when I was um, at Bradley Tech High School, and our data in the building showed that our young women and gender nonconforming students were kind of having the same barriers to success. And so one thing I'd like to fight for is creating a program, an inclusive initiative for young women and gender nonconforming students to thrive inside and outside the classroom. Um, second, you know, the whole notion of equity rests on the fact that our majority white teachers know how to interact with our majority black and brown students. And so investing really heavily in anti-racist professional development and then taking a look at our curriculum and make sure that it's culturally relevant, right? This is another thing we did together when I was at Bradley Tech High School is we, we looked at our curriculum and we said, is this representative of the children who are in our classrooms and who are in our districts? You know, we have a growing Congolese population. We have a growing Asian population. How are we ensuring that our young people see themselves reflected in their books, in their history, and that we're providing them with a the space to do that? And, um, you know, the third big point here is fighting for equitable funding for English language learners, special education students, and then also being able to attract and retain um, high quality dedicated teachers, right? These three things are integral to a school culture and the way that we move forward. So um, those those few things, and then obviously in the budget, continuing to fund public education, you know, we need to protect public education and make sure that our public tax dollars are going to our public schools. I guess for listeners sake, where do you stand when it comes to private dollars, sorry, public dollars going to private voucher schools, mm -hmm. uh, public charter uh, programs. Yeah. Um, what's your position on some of those more, you know, controversial, but really important topics? Yeah, I have a, a pretty clear position on this. So I oppose privatization. We um, need to be the best steward of taxpayer dollars, right, by providing excellent public education. And if we're using public taxpayer dollars, that should be going to public schools that are then governed by publicly elected representatives who hold people accountable to the um, academic standards that we um, make sure that our schools are governed by. And so, again, you know, when when we think about the infrastructure of public schools, it not only protects our students, but it protects our educators and our families. And so um, this is this is pretty important. Uh, for me. And just, you know, one one point, Ben, here is when we look at the reimbursement rate for special education funding, this is something that, that many people don't think about. Um, in our public school system, it's around, it hovers around 26%, right? So that means for every dollar that a public school spends, MPS spends, they get 26 cents back. For every dollar that a private voucher school spends, they get 98 cents back. And that to me is just fundamentally wrong. And so when we think about this, this is why this is such a polarizing topic. And I, um, I think we should, we should prioritize our public schools. What would be your stance on the school board in terms of authorizing new public charters? Yeah, listen, so there are, like you were alluding to, a couple of chartering entities in our city, right? The city of Milwaukee is allowed to charter schools, UWM is allowed to charter schools, um, and uh, MPS obviously is allowed to charter schools. And so the first thing is that really those two entities should not be allowed to charter schools. Uh, Milwaukee Public Schools is the subject matter expert on public schools in our city. Um, 
I don't think we should be expanding the charter program. And uh, then to take that step further, you know, with our, there are, you're right, there are two different types of charter schools. There are non-instrumentality charter schools, which do are public charters, but they are not governed by the school board and their teachers do not have the option to be part of a union. And then there are instrumentality charters, which are held accountable to the school board and have the option to unionize. And so um, I would like to start talking about moving those NICs into the instrumentality charter banner. And so again, just to reinforce here, um, we I, do, I am not in favor of growing the charter program. I think that MPS should be the only chartering entity and we should move the NICs into the instrumentality charter umbrella. Yeah, thanks for that clarification. I don't think we have discussed the difference between the non-instrumentality and the instrumentality chargers, which charters, which is, I mean, th- that's very different, right? The, the, in terms of unionization um, access by, uh, for teachers, but in, also in terms of accountability over the schools, right? right. Uh, well, so thanks for that. Appreciate that. Um, uh, so this is sort of stepping back from the specifics around your position, potential uh, position on the school board and thinking about the election broadly. If um, someone is listening to this and they're unaffiliated with Milwaukee public schools, they don't have a student in MPS, uh, or they're not an educator, they're not a parent, whatever. Um, what would you do? To, what would you say to them to encourage them to still participate in the election, even if they're unaffiliated with MPS? Yeah, you know, listen, all politics are local, right? Um, these elections have direct impact on your community. Strong schools build strong communities, and I would encourage. Um, Voters to do two things. One, reflect back on your on your school experience. That contributed to a lot of your develop your academic development, your social emotional development, and probably you know had uh, great impacts on the trajectory of your life. So one, this a school experience is incredibly powerful, especially when we're talking about um, a city that has such need for our school system to shoulder a lot of the uh, gaps that our society has kind of failed to fill. Right. And And secondly, you know, if you um, believe in racial, social, economic justice, you've got to show up for our kids. You've got to show up for our parents and you've got to show up for our schools because, again, strong schools mean strong communities. And so if you marched this summer, if you posted about something, if you feel strongly about what's happening in our world right now, you should care about our schools because that is kind of the landing ground for what our society looks like. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I just wanted to quickly look up uh, the turnout, voter turnout for the February primary, oh, and it was man. below 8%, oh, it was uh, 7.2 statewide. So, um, and I, I don't know the Milwaukee numbers off the top of my head, but to your point, look, folks, a lot of folks have opinions on different issues, and I'm sort of just revoicing, reemphasizing. Everyone has probably posted a tweet or shared or liked something on social media over the last few years, especially the last, the more recent uh, months. Um, but you got to, you know, put put your energy in action, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and show up at the polls, especially at the local level here. So, definitely advocates for local level voting here at Bridge yeah. City. I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, all right. So I love this next question. And so uh, I usually switch between two, depending on whether or not the um, guest has had experience working directly in school. Um, it sounds like you have, right? You've worked as um, you've worked in um, different schools 
uh, as a professional. Mm -hmm. And so can you think of a proud moment, uh, maybe a success story of a student? You don't obviously don't name the student, but um, just a proud moment reflecting on your time working in education, something that sticks out to you that you want listeners to hear about? Yeah, I actually have a really wonderful one that just happened a couple months ago. So when I was at Bradley Tech High School, we actually got the, I think, the first um, group of Rohingya students who had fled from Myanmar. And they came into our building and um, it turned out that uh, they understood Hindi. And I speak four languages. One of them happens to be Hindi. And so for the first couple months of their experience at Bradley Tech, I followed them around and we translated, you know, I translated to the teachers who translated to me. And then I kind of helped them understand the school experience. I talked with their families. I visited their homes and we, you know, kind of got their teachers acclimated. We did parent-teacher conferences together. And over the years, I kept in touch with some of these students. And it turns out um, a young woman from that first cohort ended up graduating as valedictorian of Bradley Tech High School. And um, she's really interested in a STEM career. And so we've been talking um, since, you know, I, I've worked in girls in STEM after that. And so we've been talking about getting her internships, making sure she has a mentor, um, you know, eventually getting her a job, uh, having her stay in the Milwaukee community and then give back to Bradley Tech. And it just, again, it just goes to show when you've got adults in the building who recognize the dignity of our students and care about our kids, that's a really transformational experience. And I learned from her too, right? Like I learned about um, her life and settling down. And I, I just... Um, it's such a symbiotic relationship. And I often think we think that it goes one way, but you as an educator understand this. There, there's so much to learn from our kids and, and their lives. And I just, um, yeah, it just, that, that made me really proud. And I just felt a lot of, a lot of pride for her and her family. Yeah. And it speaks to the dignity you can provide students and families when you have that language, access to that, that language that they can relate to or, or understand. Um, I, you made me think of my time working at Pulaski High School when I worked with a handful of Southeast Asian students, and there wasn't a single person in the building who could speak um, Karen or Chin oh. or any of the languages that the students from Southeast Asia uh, spoke. And, and, you know, I constantly regretted not being able to fully communicate with them in a dignified way. Right. I just I just didn't have that at my disposal. So that's a great story. And I'm really happy that you were there to support those students. Um, uh, second to last question here, Jilly. So thanks again for, for being on. Really enjoyed this time together. Yeah. Um, but every episode ends with tangible action steps here in Bridger City. So we'll get to those in a bit. But before we do, um, I think some listeners might want to just be able to juxtapose your views and your position compared to your opponent. So um, if somebody's still back and forth, not yet decided for who they want to support in this race, what sets you apart from your opponent? Yeah, listen, you know, my opponent says representation matters, and I would uh, agree with him. I think represent representation does matter. So here we have an opportunity to put a progressive woman of color who speaks four languages and is an immigrant. Um, we've never elected a South Asian woman in Milwaukee County. And, um, you know, people who look like him have traditionally held power. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, you know, um, he's got a lot of empty slogans and I actually get into the depth of what is required for um, our school system. I have really specific policy prescriptions and I understand the day-to-day -day experience of what educators, our families, our students and administration are doing in a building. Um, you know, and, and lastly, um, it, my opponent has been clear on how he would, uh, you know, address problems facing MPS that require systemic change. You know, he um, stands by himself as a beacon. And I, in contrast, recognize that the need for systemic, systemic change 
um, is to organize with others, right? I have did this time and time again at Bradley Tech High School. We wrote the response to the state takeover attempt of Bradley Tech. I worked along educators um, and our students to start talking about, uh, you know, a theory of harm repair via restorative justice practices. I, um, the school board needs members that can stand up against injustice and recognize that there is not one savior, but a collective response um, that is needed in order to win true systemic change. And um, so I think if you want a, a team player, um, I'm, I'm your girl. All right, folks, there you have it. Six candidates running for local office here throughout the state of Wisconsin. You heard from Deborah Kerr and Jill Underly running for the state superintendent of public instruction. Then you heard uh, Aisha Carr and Dana Kelly running in District 4 for Milwaukee Public School Board. And then finally, Alex Brower and Jilly Gokulgandi running in District 5 for Milwaukee Public School Board as well. So you have some decisions to make, especially if you're in District 4 or 5. I should say there's also a county supervisor special election. We were hoping to have those candidates on Bridges City as well, but the timing didn't work out. But please do your research. Vote April 6, 2021. And you're probably wondering, Ben, what about the action steps? What were their action steps? Bridges City is about action. You're right, listeners. I hear you loud and clear. So let's finish off this episode of Bridges City hearing from our candidates in this upcoming election and their action steps and how to get involved and make a difference in your community. I would tell everybody, let's keep our kids at the heart of everything that we do. Let's mentor them. Let's coach them. Let's provide leadership training for them. Let them know that we love and we care for them. I think we can all be ambassadors for our kids. That could be reading to a kid or allowing them to uh, do an internship um, or by helping them make great choices in their um, educational life. I think what happened to me along my way, I've always had someone who's tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you should be a superintendent someday, or you should be a teacher, or you should do this. And I think we need to be those people that tap our kids on the shoulder and encourage them to be what they want to be. Here is Jill Underlee's action step. Run for your local school board. I think that's very important. We need a diverse, you know, perspective on our school boards, um, people who care about kids first and foremost. Um, and that's a that's a great way, you know, to serve your community as well as your public schools is to be on your school boards. Um, the other piece of it is if you have kids in school, um, get involved with your PTA. If you've got a parent-teacher association, um, and if you don't have kids in school, there's other grassroots organizations I would like to plug, such as the Wisconsin Public Education Network. Um, it's a great group who care about public schools and advocate for Wisconsin's 860,000 public school kids every day. So um, those would be my, my, my thoughts. Wonderful. And then, yeah, for the campaign's sake, if someone likes what they hear and they want to support you, where can they go? What can they do? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, I do have a website. And I'm also on Facebook, but my website is underly4wi.com. So it's U-N-D-E-R-L-Y-F-O-R-W-I.com. And then I'm on Facebook um, for Dr. Jill Underly for Wisconsin. And here is Aisha Carr's action step. The first tangible um, action step is to vote Aisha Carr. 
um, in District 4. And in that, you will be included in every aspect of board governance. Um, you can check out my website, AishaCar.com, or send an email, um, submit an inquiry to get involved. Uh, we have an upcoming forum um, on Sunday um, evening. You can check all this information out on my social media and website where I will be talking to residents. It's a Q&A and a meet and greet. We can have real crucial, um, honest conversations about what the problems are and what my vision for a better public school district is. But the first step, the first most important step is to vote me in on a Tuesday, April 6th, um, if you're a resident in District 4. And then here is Dana Kelly's. Awesome. Thank you so much. Actually, I have a um, what I'm considering right now, a rapid response issue um, to the PSC, the Public Service Commission's um, decision yesterday to end the utilities moratorium um, effective April 15th. Um, so right now I'm actually um, preparing a coalition of other um organizations so that we can um, push the PSC to overturn their decision. Also to educate um, the public on resources that they can get so that they are not left in the dark during this time, um, depending on how, you know, the outcome of, of this, because we have such a short uh, turnaround time. Um, they did this um, in the dark. No one knew about their uh, meeting scheduled and therefore we had no opportunity to even voice um, our opinion so but we're getting ready to do that so um, one thing you can do is go to um, www.psc.wi.gov and make a comment on their um, website uh, um, concerning the the need for them to um, overturn or, you know, change their decision. Also, um, go to my Northside Rising Facebook page. There's information on how to get resources um, through energy assistance. Um, but if you have any problems with making arrangements that are suitable for you, also contact the PSC to file a complaint. Um, the best way to call the PSC is to when you speak to a representative is to state that you would like this conversation to be on on file or on record and that's the only way that they will actually put it on the docket here's alex brower's action step yeah um yeah so i'll, I'll, I'll take two action steps here first they should visit voteforalexbrower.org to get involved in the campaign but even more importantly than that I want every single one of your leaders to critically question what they're doing in their community to be a leader and, and ask themselves that question and, and really be honest with themselves. Um, because I think, you know, the, the problem is not a lack of good ideas. There's plenty of good ideas out there. Good ideas are a dime a dozen these days, right? Um, you can go to, you can see all kinds of good ideas everywhere, but we just need people. We need more individuals in this city fighting for radical change and radical democracy. Um, and so I would challenge every single one of your listeners to really think about how they're being a leader in their community to create that change. If we had um, more leaders, we'd have more change. Last but not least, here's Jilly Golkogandi's action step for you all, the listeners. 
Yeah. So first and foremost, please head to julieformps.org to learn more about me. Um, we I respond to those inquiries pretty quickly. So if you want to chat, you know, drop me a note. Uh, come out and volunteer with us. We're heading to the last couple of weeks here. And third, obviously, I hope you. I hope I have the privilege of earning your vote on um, the sixth of April. And so as it relates to this campaign, um, let, let's. We've had a historic year. Let's let's continue that at the local level. Let's elect women who look like me and have stories like mine and are going to fight for progress. And then I think generally speaking for your voters, you know, I, I just think make it a priority to vote in local elections and and just just request your absentee ballot for the whole year. You know, like that way you don't even have to think about it. You get a ballot and you're like, oh, there's an election. And and that would kind of be my my takeaway here. All right, folks, one of the biggest election special episodes we've had in a while, six candidates for local office here from state superintendent all the way down to Milwaukee Public School Board. Get out and vote April 6th. Thank you so much for listening to Bridge the City. Don't forget you can support Bridge the City on Patreon, patreon.com slash Bridge the City. Or, you know, give us a, a share, a follow, a rate on whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts, um, whatever you want to do. Tell us tell a friend about us and encourage them to listen if you see somebody talking about the local election say hey look uh folks at bridge the city did some really good interviews with some of the candidates take a listen whatever you can do to spread the word and as always let us know how you have helped bridge the city bridge the city whoa, whoa. bridge the city yeah bridge the city yeah gotta bridge the city the city the city